0: Hello, I'm Hannah Kaplan, and this is the WCS Wild Audio Podcast, where you'll find reported audio stories covering the latest news and newsmakers from WCS's field sites, zoos and aquarium, and their conservation partners. We've got a great show today, so let's get to it. This week, a 25-minute documentary, Hall Out, will headline the New York Wild Film Festival as its Best in Festival winner. That prize can be added to prestigious awards the film has received from the International Documentary Association and the American Film Institute on its way to the Academy Awards, where it competes for Best Documentary Short on March twelfth, WCS Wild Audio's Nat Moss recently had a chance to speak with representatives of the film, the festival, and WCS's scientific programs to learn more.
1: The hut on the desolate beach looks out on the Chukchi Sea, across the Bering Strait from Alaska. To get there requires an arduous journey by plane, helicopter, and boat. It's on this isolated stretch that the film unfurls as a solitary figure walks along the beach.
0: You don't know who Maxime is when you first start. You think maybe he's a soldier, has he deserted? You don't know where you are. There's the shipwrecks on the coast. Um, unless you're like familiar with, with walrus haulouts, you don't even know what the title means.
1: Natalie Cash is WCS executive producer for video production and a board member of the New York Wild Film Festival. Every year, the festival selects roughly 35 films out of 300 or so submissions for four days of screenings at the Explorers Club in New York. Until this year, a short film had never won Best in Festival, but the choice was unanimous.
0: It checked every single box, whether it was you know, the impact it made, the editing, the sound, the cinematography. Like, it just was at the top of every category.
1: The impact of the film rests in its exploration of how melting sea ice in the face of climate change is upending the habitat of walrus in the Arctic. Unable to rest on ice, the walrus are forced to haul out onto the beach, often hundreds of kilometers from the nearest mollusk-rich waters that they feed on. The particular cluster of walrus in the film is the subject of ongoing research by scientist Maxim Chakalev. What Maxim is documenting is extraordinary, says conservationist Martin Robards, the Arctic Beringia regional director for WCS.
2: These are astronomical haul outs. What you see there with the 90,000 to 100,000 walruses, I mean, that could well be half the population of walruses on the planet. That is a massive aggregation of wildlife.
1: It's the breathtaking size of this haul out that gives the film its title and one of the most surprising and unforgettable moments in the film. As Chakalov turns in for bed one windy night on an empty beach, then awakens to a cabin surrounded by walruses as far as the eye can see.
3: We've been capturing stories from the Arctic for most of our careers as a photographer and as a filmmaker. One of the trips brought us to Chukotka and we discovered this incredible story of Maxim Chakilev and we just thought that this has to be a film. We have to tell the story. That's Yevgenia Arbugaeva. She shot Hala with her brother,
1: Maxim Arbugaev. The sister brother team spent the months of September and October 2020 with Chakalev in the tiny hut from which he monitors the haulouts each fall as temperatures drop and the walruses make their way south from the Chukchi Sea down past the Bering Strait. The film captures the devastating impact of climate change for sure, but it also captures what it feels like to do science in an extreme environment. For WCS Temperate Asia regional director Jonathan Slatt, it felt very familiar. John's multi-year study of the Blackiston fish owl in the frigid forests of the Russian Far East was captured in his award-winning book, Owls of the Eastern Ice.
4: I've been in hundreds, probably, of Russian cabins throughout the 20, 25 years I've been living or working in the Russian Far East, and they all look the same. The cabin in this film, it's an authentic cabin. Uh, you know, he's, he's sitting there eating, uh, eating fish out of a can. You can almost see the, the dirt and in the, in the, in the grime and the cracks of his fingers. And so that was all, that's, that's what first attracted me to the film, was the, the clear authenticity. There was nothing false.
1: A large part of the film's effectiveness is the result of a decision made in post-production not to impose a voiceover narration. The filmmakers have distilled some 60 hours of footage to a 25-minute frame in which we eat, sleep, and observe with Maxim Chakalov over the course of his season with The Walrus. Yevgenia Arbugaeva explains
3: for us it was very important to capture the atmosphere and the power of elements in the arctic the wind the sea you know the tundra and all of these elements can speak for themselves through sound we also wanted to give a chance to a viewer to go on this emotional journey with the protagonist and without being kind of guided too much or having too much messaging in the film, it's already a very strong story, and I think it becomes even stronger when you leave through it on your own as a viewer.
1: A critical part of that story is what happens when tens of thousands of walrus gather together in such dense packs. They're easily spooked, and when disturbed, there's a tendency to stampede. The stampedes leave the smaller and weaker animals vulnerable to smothering and suffocation.
3: They're very easily scared of all the un- unfamiliar noises and unfamiliar smells. So when they were very close to the hut, we couldn't use a generator because it produces noise and it scares them. And once animals that are close to the hut get scared, they kind of send this wave of panic to the whole hole out.
1: Toward the end of the film, the walruses have retreated into the sea, and Maxim Chakalev exits his hut to survey the damage. Dozens of walruses, mostly females and cubs, lie dead on the beach, victims of hunger and stampede. One baby walrus appears to have died beside its mother, only to move suddenly and head for the ocean. The knowledge that the young walrus will certainly not survive leaves the viewer with a kind of heartbreak. And yet Martin Robart sees a positive reading in the haul-out phenomenon so starkly depicted in the film.
2: The worst news would have been that the animals could not learn how to do something different. They would have just drowned out there in the ocean. And that would have been the end of the story. That would have been really sad. But walruses have learned to come to land. You know, we're not going to get more sea ice back again, even if we stop climate change right now for a thousand years. It will not return to the state of sea ice that was in place when I came to Alaska some decades ago. The question now is, can we learn to help walrus live on land, can we avoid those things that cause them to stampede and have these large mortalities?
1: Another important takeaway from the film for John Slatt is the importance of long-term commitment to a given place when doing scientific research, something that's hardwired into how wildlife conservation society scientists tend to approach their work around the globe.
4: There's a scene in the film where he goes out and digs into this big pile of coal, puts it in his little bucket, takes it into the house, and you know starts his fire. And for, for me, the idea of, of that pile of coal even being there, speaks to you know, the long-term scientific commitment to the site. Somebody brought that there and put it there in front of the cabin and so said the cabin had its heat source right, because this is the Arctic, there's no trees, they can't start a wood fire. It shows that there's been a long-term commitment of scientific interest in this site and monitoring the walrus, and we wouldn't know that there were these 90,000 walrus this year, and that that's an anomaly if there hadn't been, you know, the decade of prior or even longer research going into it.
1: If Maxim Chakalev is a representative of scientific inquiry for John Slatt, for Yevgenia, he has another role, conferred upon him by villagers in the nearby Chukchi town of Enermino
3: in the village, some people call him holout keeper because back in the day when walruses would haul out, of course in much smaller numbers, just in maybe a thousand or even less, the the spiritual leader, shaman of the community would go and, and also live near to make sure that people don't hunt them, don't disturb them. They hunt them only in the water. They never hunt them when they're hauling out. So now Maxim is this modern day haul-out keeper.
1: Haul-out screens at the New York Wild Film Festival on Friday, March 3rd. The film can be viewed in its entirety at The New Yorker Documentary, a showcase for innovative short films from around the world. Look for the link in the description for this podcast episode. For WCS Wild Audio, this is Nat Moss.
0: Today's episode was produced and reported by Nat Moss with help from Hannah Kaplan and Dan Rosen. The WCS Wild Audio podcast is a production of the Wildlife Conservation Society. Please join us next week for a new episode and don't forget to rate or review the show wherever you get your podcasts.